0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. 88 degrees outside at our studios, but they tell me the humidity is lifting a bit. That is good news. Let us get started. All right. For the, the last eh, month or two, one of the ongoing discussions has been, should you wear masks as a way to protect yourself and to protect others from the spread of the coronavirus? And and I think in general, the, the science is now coming together. We, we know things about how coronavirus spreads. We know that particularly in enclosed areas where people are in close contact with each other, it is more likely to spread. And I, I think, you know, that the science is that it, it's advisable in those sort of situations to, to wear masks if you're going to be inside and you're going to be close to people. Outside, kind of a different story. Can coronavirus spread outside? Yes, it can, but it's nowhere near as likely, which is why everybody says when we have all these ongoing protests and people are out there and they were out there without masks, it it did not contribute to the the spread. It's why when we had the voting in April, despite all the angst and the gloom and doom predicted by the governor, there's no significant spread of of COVID-19 tied to the the elections. Inside is a different rule. All right, so in response to this, you have various communities who are coming up with mask rules based on the needs of their particular community. The city of Milwaukee is, and has been since the beginning, the epicenter of COVID-19 in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, if you look at the numbers what, I mean, I, I ran this the other day, but but somewhere in the area of about a third or more of all the coronavirus cases in Wisconsin come from Milwaukee County, and the vast majority of those in Milwaukee County come from the city. There's a lot of different reasons for it, but the, the city is and remains a hotbed. So the city has a mask ordinance. The city's mask ordinance is that you're supposed to wear a mask anytime you're inside, and you're also supposed to wear a mask when you're outside If you're going to come into contact with somebody within two yards. All right. So essentially, it's pretty much all the time. Now, I don't think too many people are following that outside mask rule, but it's the rule that is on the books. You have other communities that have different mask rules. For example, the People's Republic of Shorewood. They have a a rule, an ordinance that says you're supposed to wear the masks when you're Inside places that are open to the public, they don't have a requirement that you wear one outside. Glendale has a requirement that they ask you. It's actually not an ordinance. It's more like a recommendation. But Glendale asks that if you're inside, you you wear masks. No outside rule. Walwatosa is looking at imposing one. Racine has just imposed one. A- and the rules vary from different municipality to different municipality, depending, number one, on what is enforceable. To an extent, and what the needs of the community are. Okay, so that's the backdrop. Waukesha County and the county executive announced yesterday that they are not going to do a formal mask ordinance for for the county. And their argument was essentially the county executive, Paul Farrow, who may very well be the next governor of the state of Wisconsin, he said, Look, here, here's the deal. You know, we, we don't think it's enforceable. As a practical matter, We don't have the resources. If we were to impose a rule, we don't think it could be enforced, which is a very, very good point. Secondly, you know, we have ample capacity at our hospitals at this point in time. And, you know, we're noticing that there's a a voluntary, high degree of voluntary mask usage. Plus, by the way, individual businesses always have the right to require people to wear masks. So in Waukesha, they've made the decision, at least the county executives made the decision, hey, I'm not going to impose a county wide mask ordinance and as you get further and further out into the suburbs what you find is that there's again i don't think there's any interest in imposing a mask ordinance now you get out to dane county and they have a mask ordinance which to me is frankly just just bizarre in certain respects Um, Certain aspects of it, I understand it, it's inside in public places. They've got a requirement if you're a state employee, even if you're in your own private office, you're supposed to wear a mask, which to me, again, make makes no sense at all. They've also got a requirement that says that if you invite somebody over to your house, so you're going to have another couple over for dinner, they have to wear a mask in your house. I mean, that this it's, it's completely and totally unenforceable. And I, I can't imagine that anybody follows this, but nevertheless, that that's their rule. And a large portion of the state, like I say, has, has no mask ordinance because they don't feel that they need it. And in many respects, I understand that because there are, look, there, there's coronavirus all over the state. But you don't have massive outbreaks in most parts of of the state. If you look at where it's coming from, it's southeastern Wisconsin and to a lesser extent, Brown County and, and perhaps Dane County as well. Okay. against this backdrop, you have a number of Democrats in the legislature who are pushing the governor for a statewide mandatory mask requirement. In other words, a one-size-fits-all requirement that we're going to say to the people in Oconto, you've got to follow these rules. And then to the people in La Crosse, you've got to follow these rules. And to the people in Milwaukee, you've got to follow these rules. They want the statewide mask mandate. I think smart money says that Tony Evers... Is just itching to try to impose something like this. He's still upset that the Supreme Court struck down his safer at home ordinance, but at the end of the week, um, one of the judges, justices, who voted in favor of striking down the safer at home ordinance, he, he's off the bench. Justice Kelly lost his bid for election, so he's going to be replaced by a, a liberal, and the thinking is maybe. If they impose the statewide mask ordinance, maybe with the newly constituted court, they would say it's okay. And I don't know how that's going to work out one way or the other. But there's, like I say, people think that the governor really wants to impose this. And the Democrats are saying, okay, we want a statewide mask ordinance. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's discuss this. Do we need a statewide requirement? Or does it make more sense to allow local communities to decide what they need based on the health needs, the numbers, and what they perceive to be what is important in their particular communities? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I I guess I don't wanna necessarily debate whether or not, okay, is, is a mask mandate appropriate or not, at least on a local level, But I want to tell you this. I just don't think that the state government needs to do this. And it's the argument I've been making since this all started. You have different needs in different communities. If the city of Milwaukee thinks that they are such a hot spot and it's so bad and it's so outrageous that you need to have people wearing masks when they're outside in 90 degree heat on the off chance that they're going to they're riding a bicycle and they're going to pass somebody. Oh, okay, fine. City of Milwaukee does that, and the residents can then decide how they want to respond. But just because it might be necessary or appropriate for the city of Milwaukee, based on the numbers of cases of coronavirus they have in Milwaukee, doesn't mean it's appropriate, in my opinion, for people who live in Verona. I think what you want to do is you want to allow local authorities to decide what they need for the community. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner
0: back to take your
1: calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner
2: 855-616-1620
1: that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line i want to i want to focus the conversation here i i I don't want to debate you know should people wear masks or or not what i want to debate is whether or not We need a statewide mandate of that. The way it works now is you have many communities who have decided we don't need to go this far. All right. At least we don't need to have the government come out with orders. And by the way, these government orders are, are completely and totally unenforceable. I mean, go go through the city of Milwaukee and look at people who are walking outside and count the number of people who are actually wearing masks when they're outside. And I guess depending on where you go, you know, maybe you'll see half the people comply. I haven't seen that as I'm driving around, but that that's OK. But. It it's not so much does the government, a local government have the right to do it. It's the question of do you need a statewide one size fits all order to require that? And and my answer is no. If you need it in the city of Milwaukee, fine. Let the city of Milwaukee impose it and, and then you know figure out how they're going to enforce it. But if in a community in the northern part of our listening area that does not have widespread rampant coronavirus decides that, you know, we don't need the government to impose this requirement, then I think they should have the right not to impose the requirement. All right, let's start with Rain in Greenfield. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, Yeah. thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, For me, unfortunately, it just seems like people
3: have to learn things on their own, right? So... If you impose a mandate uh, statewide, people are just going to complain about it because they don't get it. So my idea would be to leave it up to the businesses to mandate that. The ones who don't, if they have a lot of infection spread from their store, they'll reverse that and they will mandate it. And that way people learn what happens when you don't and companies make the right decision.
1: Well, and I guess, I mean... I. Thanks, Nicole. See, and look, I, I think businesses have the right to do it. I think people have the right to make their own decisions. But at, at the same time, and, and I, I get texts from people saying, oh, everybody needs to wear this all the time. Okay, you, you need to tailor responses to where the particular problems are. I understand, for example, why the Milwaukee public school system has decided, you know, there's no way that they can reopen with in-person learning because they have a different set of circumstances and criteria than you do, say, in LaMira. All right. So we're, we're not saying that just because... It's necessary or appropriate or the only thing that you can do to make stuff work in Milwaukee, that that means you have to do the same thing in LaMira. And that is is my point. If if in Dane County you decide that, OK, it's so bad out here that we want to impose an order that is going to require, you know, whenever you invite somebody over to your house as a guest, that they have to wear masks in your house Figure out how to figure out how you're going to enforce it. But if the governor is going to start imposing a one size fits all requirement, I also want an explanation of how it is that you're you're going to enforce this. And what is that requirement going to be? Are you going to say, okay, we we need to have this. Anybody who's outdoors, even if you're walking your dog at two o'clock in the morning on the off chance that you might pass somebody, you've got to wear it. No, adapt it to the local community that that's. That's my point, and, and let people end up deciding. For example, I mean, I, alright. I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time in the city of Milwaukee anymore. But all right, and when I go to other places, when I go inside the stores, even if the stores don't have a requirement of a mask, I, I put on a mask when I'm inside. Okay, that's I, I just do it for a variety of reasons, but that's a decision that I can make. If the store requires me to wear a mask, I, I'm cool with that. That that's okay. But let people make those decisions based on what they think is appropriate. I don't think you need a one size This is the government in Madison telling the entire state what they need to do. Let's talk to Karen in Milwaukee. Karen, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi. So Wisconsin is one of the one of the very few states that does not have a mask mandate. And I was just in the UP of Michigan. And even when I was outside, everyone was wearing a mask and no one had like a problem with it. And also, the more masks we wear, the more businesses will open. And then the more businesses that will open, the more that the economy will grow. And then we can get back. We can get back.
1: Why do you why do you attribute that to the the mask? First of all, Karen, I talked to a lot of people from the Upper Peninsula, and I think that they're going to tell me that they they almost never see people wearing masks outside, in particular. But I mean, why why do you think we need a statewide requirement for that? If there's counties in in Wisconsin that have little or no cases of, of COVID nineteen,
2: I mean, the safer the better. Well,
1: well, I mean, I, I guess at what point if if you live in a county that has. A handful of cases over the last three or four months. And statistically, the odds of getting COVID-19 are are slim to none in a particular county. Why does that county have to behave the same way that the city of Milwaukee, which is an epicenter for it does? I mean, mean, why do you need a one size fits all approach?
2: I mean. We I mean, like in New York, even though they had a bunch of bad cases, we they still are wearing masks all the time. And I know it's like a one size fits all, but it doesn't matter, especially for like our, uh, our children who are going back to school.
1: Oh, OK, well, I mean, thanks again, it, it does. I mean, again, it's if if. I think many of the school districts that are looking at bringing kids back to school, that's going to be one of the requirements that the kids need to wear masks in the classroom. And, and again, if, if that's what the school district, if that's what the local school district thinks they need to do in order to get people back, I'm, I'm fine with that. All right. If that's what they need. But again, for a local school district, for example, that we are now OK, this started in March, March. April, May, June, July, okay, we're five months into this, and if you have counties that have not had mask requirements and have not seen any sort of widespread prevalence or spread of this, right, why do you need to impose the requirements in those particular counties? That That's my only argument about this. Doesn't it make more sense to tailor tailor these rules to the needs of the community? And then, okay, who who's going to decide this? All right, so, For example, if the governor comes down with this rule and the governor decides, well, okay, in Madison, we don't require people to wear these things outside. In Milwaukee, they're saying outside. Well, because Milwaukee thinks you need to do it outside, does that now mean that we have to make Shorewood or Glendale or Whitefish Bay or Racine or Brown County that we need to make everybody wear masks outside? I mean, doesn't it make more sense to allow the local communities to decide what to do based on, again... what's going on in the local communities all right back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner
0: you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj
1: well there's not much consensus here jeff absolutely ridiculous county by county is what's needed tony evers and his cabinet have already tried crazy things thank goodness for the supreme court and the flip side stop debating masks already wear them when it's appropriate and grow up people we can't legislate common sense um, well, I, I think, th- I, again, the question becomes, do you trust people to be able to do the right thing? Jeff, one size doesn't fit all. I think mask order should be left up to the community, not the county or the state. And that's that's my position. Jeff, you've been undercover, undercutting control efforts since March, only to see cases and deaths continue to rise. I think the families of perhaps the 800 Wisconsinites would disagree with you. Well, I, I don't know about that at at all. Look, here's the thing. I believe that if you are going to have rules, the rules need to make sense. And unfortunately, the one-size-fits-all approach has never made any sense. The blanket sort of shotgun approach has never made any sense. We close down small jewelry stores. We close down dog groomers. We close down teeny-tiny businesses in the idea that, okay, we're going to try to prevent the spread of this, and we put those people out of business or darn near out of business, and then we let people go over to Walmart or Kmart or Costco or, or whatever. That That's never made any sense. The question to me has always been, number one, does the rule substantially contribute to stopping the spread of COVID-19? That That should have been the question number one, and we and that wasn't it. It was just okay, the knee jerk reaction if we're going to shut things down and then secondly, when it comes to statewide mandates without taking into consideration the fact that different parts of the state and different communities have different concerns, and that is my only point. if Milwaukee thinks you need to tell people to wear masks when they're outside, fine, city of Milwaukee can tell people that, and then. As the mayor said, folks have the decision as to whether or not they want to go outside or whether they want to go to Milwaukee. They can decide what they want to do. But also, my other question is, if you're going to impose these statewide mask mandates, tell me how you're going to enforce them. What are, what are we going to do? Is it going to be? Is it going to be health departments that are directed with enforcing them? Is it going to be the state police that's going to enforce them? How are we going to enforce these measures if you impose it? And what's supposed to happen if, let's say, you put in a mask ordinance in Lumira and somebody's walking down the street and they see somebody who's not wearing their mask and they're coming within a couple feet of somebody? Are you supposed to call the police or is the police supposed to answer it? If you're going to impose rules, explain to me how you enforce them. I don't think that's unfair. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, group. producing the show today and always. Do you shop at uh, Trader Joe's? Mm.
3: Uh, definitely before the pandemic. Um, they, once the pandemic hit and they sort of would sequence people in, Okay. they would... I'm speaking specifically for the one in Bayshore. Okay, uh, there would always be a line of people. Okay, uh, you know, so I mean, social distance and everything. But every time you pass by Bayshore, I would see a line of dozen people, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm ever going to stand in the line for an hour to get in there." But, tr- but I've been there plenty of times before. Well,
1: you see, it's interesting because when I when I lived in Whitefish Bay, we would we would go there occasionally. That's the royal we my late wife was the one who did most of the shopping but i I'd go into the store occasionally it was not one of our go to shops in part because um I guess what what I found is i they'd have like like 16 brands of unsalted cashews when it's kind of like, but, but they, they wouldn't have like the stuff that I, I'd want. And I, I remember somebody sent me over there for like their bottle of their, their $3 wine and stuff like that. And it tasted to me like $3 wine. So I, it, it wasn't on the top of my list, but, but I understand that Trader Joe's is incredibly popular. Now, for for those of you who shop at Trader Joe's you, you know this Trader Joe's has a, a series of of brands and for years and years and years they have branded products as kind of a sort of a fun takeoff on on the name Trader Joe's for for example for their um Mexican line of food you know the the taco shells and, and you know whatever they're they're they're, they're and what you would find in like the, the quote-unquote Mexican foods aisles of, of some grocery stores, what they do is when they're branding their products, they call them, they call the stuff that's in the, the salsa, for example, it's Trader Jose's. So like the Mexican products, instead of saying Trader Joe's salsa, it'll say uh, Trader Jose's salsa. Um, for the Italian stuff, Instead of saying Trader Joe's spaghetti sauce, they'll say Trader Giotto's spaghetti sauce. So they'll use plays on the name Joe for the different brandings for the different type of, of ethnic food. Um, for the, the Chinese food section, it'll be, you know, Trader Ming's. Um, and, and things of of the like um, for the Japanese food section instead of Trader Joe's, it'll say Trader Joe San's thing, you know, Trader Jose. You you get the idea. And, and that's that's how they do the branding. And it's how they've done the branding for quite a while. Well, what happens is there is this high school student in California who who at the time there was all the controversy over the Aunt Jemima and the Mrs. Butterworth and things like that, starts a a change.org petition saying this is racist branding. I mean, how dare Trader Joe's engage in this type of cultural appropriation um, the gro- and this is what the petition says. The grocery chain labels some of its ethnic foods with the modifications of Joe that belies a narrative of exoticism. Exoticism. I'm not sure I've ever heard that word used. That perpetuates harmful stereotypes. The Trader Joe's branding is racist because it exoticizes other cultures. It presents Joe as the default normal and the other characters falling outside of it. I swear, I don't even understand what that means. I I just, the Trader Joe's branding is racist because it exoticizes other cultures. It presents Joe as the default normal and other characters falling outside of it. And so, again, it's like you you can't have like Arabian Joe, which is what they use to brand Middle Eastern foods or Trader Giotto's for Italian goods, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so when this story first breaks, the initial reports and I'm looking at some in The New York Times and The Washington Post is that the Trader Joe's has acknowledged that this type of branding is, in fact, racist and they've made a commitment to to get rid of it. So that's the way the stories initially played out. Well. Trader Joe's, after they made this, after this story got out, um, apparently got lots and lots of heat from their, their patrons saying, what are you doing? Why are you gaving in, caving into this? You know, we, we like Trader Jose's or, you know, or whatever, or Trader Giotto's. You know, th- this isn't, this isn't racist at all. Why are you giving into this? And so yesterday, Trader Joe's came out with a statement and it, it actually calls into question some of the reporting on this. Uh, Trader Joe says, look, you know, we're, we're always reviewing, you know, what, what we're doing and our marketing and things like that. But we don't believe any of these names are, are racist. Um, you know, what we've done is, you know, they said, look, here's the deal. We're, we're not Removing racist packaging. We want to be clear. This is their statement. We disagree that any of these labels are racist. We do not make decisions based on petitions. If there is a need for a change, we do not hesitate to take action. It said recently we've heard from many customers reaffirming that these name variations are largely viewed in exactly the way they were intended as an attempt to have fun with our product marketing. We're continuing our ongoing evaluation and those pro pro products that resonate with our customers and sell well will remain on our store shelves. So in other words, you know, if, if we're selling a lot of Trader Giotto's spaghetti sauce. We're, we're not, we're not changing that. You know, we're, you know, if this is what customers are responding to, we're going to continue to sell it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Okay, let's, let's tee this up. Uh, Again, they're, they're branding ethnic food with variations of the Trader Joe's name. They could call it Trader Joe's spaghetti sauce but because it's Italian, they call it Trader Giotto's spaghetti sauce. They, again, they could call it Trader Joe's taco cells or sa- shells or salsa or whatever, but it's in their Mexican line of products, so they call it Trader Jose's. Is that is that racist? Do they need to change? Do they need to rebrand? Or is this much ado about nothing? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, to me... I, I was I was amazed when I first read these stories and the implication that Trader Joe's was going to give up these 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 names for the the different ethnicities. I don't think calling their Italian product line um you know Trader Giattos is racist. I don't think calling their um, their line of Mexican food, Trader Jose's, is racist. You understand what they're doing here. They're all variations on the name Joe. How can that be racist? And, and by the way, I mean, we, we do have that, have ethnic foods. You know, you go into any grocery stores, you've got aisles that have, again, the, the Italian stuff. You've got aisles that'll have the quote-unquote Mexican food. You'll have the Middle Eastern food. I, I mean, really? Is this what it's come to? is this racist? Should they give in? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line we discuss in a moment.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. All right, Trader Joe's, despite some of this early press coverage, they're they're saying, whoa, yes, we have various ethnic food lines that all use the the play of the name Joe. So, uh, again, our our Mexican food line, it's Trader Jose's. Our Italian food line is Trader Giatti's, et et cetera, et cetera. And and no, we don't agree that these terms are are racist. And just because some high school kid in California decides that they need to, to start this change dot org thing, we're we're, we're not giving in. Contrary to some of the early reports, you know, we're always assessing what we do with our brands and, you know, we'll be making decisions. But, you know, we find that the vast majority of people who shop at Trader Joe's, you know, that they look at these things and and they recognize them for what they are, which is sort of clever offshoots of the Trader Joe product line. Um, Jeff, I think here's some text. I think it's clever marketing, equally applied with absolutely no derogatory text or imagery. And it should be allowed to continue in today's hypersensitive culture where vocal influencers seem to want everything sanitized and neutral and thus monotonous and bo- and boring. No surprise that at least some find Trader Joe's ethnic permutations of Joe's offensive. But I think Trader Joe should stand pat and not. Capitulate there. Um, let's see, Jeff. I'm sort of surprised that liberal leaning Trader Joe's isn't immediately caving into the cancel culture, who, by the way, is filling its ranks with indoctrinated kids from our school system. Well. I mean initially that that's what I saw. Initially the reports were Trader Joe's is, is just giving in. Now I think what happened is Trader Joe's heard from a lot of its customers going, Have you lost your mind? And now the response is, well, wait, we're 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 not getting rid of these brands just because there's this petition out here and we don't think any of the branding is racist. What we're willing to do is we're willing to look at this and we're willing to make a decision uh based on, you know, how well the products are selling and things of the like. Jeff, um I'm uh Jeff, I'm honestly ashamed that I live in an era where everybody is so offended by everybody. Um Jeff, it's about time that somebody tells the Society of the Perpetually Offended to go pound sand. Well, right, it's the politically correct and the perpetually offended, the folks that wake up every day with that chip on their shoulder just hoping that somebody's going to knock it off. Um uh Let's see. Uh, Jeff, Trader Joe's crew got some stones and pushed back. It's about time a business took a stand. Time to shut the PC bunch down. Well, I think that's kind of, um, you know, one of the things that's going on here. Uh, let's see another text. Um, Jeff. Of course, it's not racist. It's creative marketing. Well, of of course. Jeff, this is from John in Burlington. I would say this is all much ado about nada. (laughs) That's pretty clever. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, um, I used to be a uh, a regular customer at Trader Joe's. Particularly down in Illinois. And I think what we have here, uh, is, is a boy that's crying wolf. And it really does, um, uh, it, it makes light of uh, and mitigates true racism and racial slurs sure. that, that exist out there. And, and you know, it, it seems, it seems to me, Jeff, that there's a segment of America that, that is so offended. And this, this probably doesn't include most of your listeners. But Americans, are the whiniest people in the world. I, I mean, I, I've lived in other countries, and you I, I've never heard an issue like this come up before. And your last, co- your, one of your texters said, this is just creative marketing. And right. I, 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 I market a product, so I try to be creative. And um, yeah. I, 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 I appreciate the creativity, and I certainly don't... Um, don't think that they should capitulate. This is ridiculous. This kid ought to be, um, you know, uh, working on his studies and studying history and and real racism. Well, I mean, I guess I, I, I have a few books that I could recommend.
1: Yeah, Gianni, Thanks to call. I mean, I guess I mean I, I wonder. I mean, where where do you draw the line? There are, for example, there are a number of Mexican restaurants, and I'll just use this as an example. You know, throughout the the area, who all use you know, who all use names that are art, that are, are variations of, well, for example, there, there's, there's a series of restaurants called Jose's, you know, Jose's Blue Sombrero or whatever. Oh, okay. Well, you've got, okay, you've got Jose, so you've got the Mexican name. You've got the reference to the sombrero, which is the traditional Mexican, you know, head, headwear. Okay. Does does that mean that we, we can't have a Jose's Blue Sombrero Mexican restaurant? That we, we can't, uh, again, we, we can't use the, these names. It's, it's marketing. Okay. It's a Mexican restaurant. You wouldn't necessarily Necessarily call it Clancy's Mexican restaurant you know you wouldn't take the Irish name it, it's just it is marketing that that's there and again it's worked for Trader Joe's and I think your point Gianni is very very well taken with regard to the, the whole idea of of these sort of arguments and, and the cancel culture going after this it minimizes the the, the true racism that exists now I look I, I understand The Aunt Jemima controversy. I I get it. And to an extent, I guess I understand the the Uncle Ben's, you know, Rice controversy where you have some of these stereotypical images. I, I, I understand all that. But that's not what this is. This is just a recognition that, you know, different cultures use different names. All right. When I was back in back in the day when i was taking french classes in high school and if if you've ever taken a foreign language class and one of our texters makes this point you you can perhaps relate at, at least in the classes that i took when i was back in high school the the instructor would take your name and then would w- would would say okay this is if you were if you were in france they, they don't say Jeff. That That's not the name. I think it was Joseph or something, as I, as I recall. But, you know, they, they they give you the equivalent of your name in the foreign language, and, and that's how you're addressed in, in classes. Okay, can we not do that anymore? I mean, is that just a, a – is that going to be viewed as, as racially demeaning, or is it going to be viewed as mocking or whatever? Is it just going to re- be a recognition that, okay, you know, different – you know, your your name is going to be different. Um, if you were in Germany, then it's going to be again. If you were in Spain, then it's going to be. If you were in France or or whatever, and, and that's all. This this is the whole idea that you know, okay, we, we've got different types of ethnic food that's there, and we've got you know if and for the for frankly, I mean, if you're if you're shopping and you're trying to find uh, again the the quote-unquote Italian food aisle, well, okay, don't you want it to brand it Italian food? You don't necessarily want to have the tomato sauce mixed in with the taco shells, mixed in with the cereal. You want to have that separation to help you find what you're looking for. And again, it the difference between Trader Jose's um, or, or whatever, or Trader Giotto's or Trader Joe's, it's just all variations of the thing. Concentrate on the real issues of racism that are out there. But I, again, i i give credit to i give credit to Trader Joe's for not being willing to completely capitulate to this and say, wait a second. I mean, contrary to popular reports, you know, we did say that we always review the names and and things like that, but we don't think any of this is racist. And by the way, the vast majority of our customers, and my guess is pretty much everybody that shops at Trader Joe's, agrees with our position. My sense would be the vast majority of, of that small minority of people who don't like this, they probably don't go to Trader Joe's anyways. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex
0: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, I was listening to Melissa's news report. She was talking about the congressman from Texas, who was the tenth member of Congress to, to test positive, and he was saying, "Well, I, I've been wearing my mask for the last couple weeks, more than I've done in the last couple months." You know, was what was missing from that report? And and what's been missing from a lot of the reports lately? For example, you know, yesterday you had the report of like half the Miami Marlins baseball team and traveling party had, had tested positive, which which is not a good thing. But but the thing that's missing from all these reports is are they ill? Now, and, and see, because that that's what I'm kind of wondering about this. It's the okay. So the congressman, I mean, what was it that generated him to get? To get tested was was he feeling awful or was it just like routine sort of thing for the, the Miami Marlins baseball team? I'm curious as to you know are were any of them ill or was this just hey do you, do you have half the team that feels absolutely fine but because you know they're doing the routine testing that they they come back and they test positive and so then then you want to quarantine them now now you might say that's a distinction without a difference you know who cares because if they test positive then you you've got to quarantine them because you don't want to infect other people and, and and there is an element of that but i'm just as we move forward figuring out how we're going to deal with covid-19 assuming that it is going to be with us for the foreseeable future which i think is a safe you know a safe bet I mean, I do think one of the fair questions is, okay, when, when you see these people that are testing positive, of those people that are testing positive, how many are ill? Uh, how many are, are ill, or was this just some sort of routine situation? And of the people who were ill, how many are really ill? Now, I understand you you don't want anybody to get this, but we, we do know, of course, that they're, you know, who is at the highest risk category, and it's people who tend to be older, and it's people who have hypertension and uncontrolled diabetes and are overweight and things like that, and and that's of course where the the priority is. But as we are fashioning a, a public health response, and again, I mean, I, let's not even discuss the masks or the things like that. But as we're considering these different things, is it a fair question to ask? All right, what what is the effect of this of of X number of positive tests? Are people ill? Are there people who are getting ill, or is it are they asymptomatic? How many of those Florida Marlins, for example, in the traveling party? How many of them are are actually ill? Now, again, I, I understand it doesn't change the dynamic because you don't want them spreading it to other people, but to give us a perspective, because that's one of the things I continue to believe is is lacking here: the fact that obviously you want to try to eradicate this; you don't want you don't want people to get it. But, I mean, is this the is this the plague? If you get it, are you going to die? Well, the answer is, you know, most people No, in Wisconsin, you've had 800 deaths. That that is an unacceptably high number. But still, of the number of people who've tested positive, th- that's not that huge a number comparatively. And of 5.8 million residents in this in the state of Wisconsin, that's that that's a relatively well, it, it's. 800 deaths is 800 deaths. You don't want to have any of them. But I do think it's kind of fair as we're expanding our testing and things like that, and we're looking at the numbers, I think it would also be interesting to see the numbers of of that, how many people describe themselves as, as ill. Because once you know that, are people getting sick from this? Or are people saying, well, I, yeah, I, I got it, but I, I don't even know, I'm shocked that I tested positive because I, I don't have any sort of symptoms a, at all. <laughs> That I think is important to know as we figure out ways to isolate people who are in the more high risk categories. Now having said all that, like the story we had out of New Jersey yesterday where there, there's 700 people at a house party and it takes the police five hours to break it up. That That's just stupid because even you know, e- even if you're in your early 20s and if you're convinced that if you get this, you're not going to have any sort of bad reaction, and statistically you, you might be right, it's still ridiculous that you're going to get it and then protect, perhaps risk exposing other people. But I do think in addition to just looking at the raw numbers, um, we, we do... I think it's fair to ask a question about of those people who are infected, how many are really sick? Uh, You know, we look at the hospitalization numbers, and one of the good things that you've seen lately is the hospitalization numbers in Wisconsin, at least, have remained flat. That, that you have not seen a spike, despite the fact that, you know, you've had more people getting COVID-19. There hasn't been a spike in the hospitalization numbers. Now, maybe that's going to change, and it, it could be different a week from now or, or two weeks from now. But one of the things that that tells me is that the people who are getting tested or testing positive – Tend to be in in the younger age groups, and we know that's the case. And in, in most cases, they're not going to have as bad a consequence as people who are older. The issue, of course, I understand, is especially when there's multi generational housing. The the 19 year old goes to the house party, gets it, brings it home, and you've got the parents and you've got you know grandparents who are all living together, and it ends up spreading to grandpa or grandma, and it's a much different story than for the 19 year old, which is why it's a big deal but i do think it'd be interesting to start focusing also not just on the raw numbers but on on what this is doing how many people are really getting ill from this and then i think once you know that that helps you tailor the response to figure out how we protect use our resources to protect those people who are most at risk and most vulnerable all right interesting story i This has been a tough time for movie theaters. And let me see a show of hands. I mean, I I love going to movies. I I go to fewer now than I did years ago. But there's still something about the theater experience. You know, you run over, you buy the tickets, you get the popcorn and the soda, you sit in that darkened theater with, you know, a bunch of people, and you watch a first-run movie. I love that experience. And this has been a tough time for movie theaters because, well, well, obviously, it's very, very difficult to, to socially distance in the movies. Yeah, you can, you can separate people by seats, but still, it's a communal sort of experience. You go, you stand in line to buy the popcorn. You know, you, you, you all come in at the same time. You all leave at the same time. You're using the same bathrooms. It's, it's very, very difficult to socially distance. And if you do try to socially distance and say, okay, well, we're only going to operate at 25% capacity, it makes it, Okay, difficult there to, to make a living out of this. Well, on top of that, it's just gotten more difficult for movie theaters. One of the things that movie theaters have always had going for them is that when you have a first-run movie, a new theatrical release, for people who want to see it, if you want to see it without having to wait a few months, you got to go to the movie theater, Right. that That's it. And it's kind of like, boy, the new Quentin Tarantino film is out or the new Clint Eastwood film is out or the new Tom Hanks film is out. And, yeah, I, I know it's going to come to, you know, pay per view and demand viewing. But that's three months from now. And I don't want to say I'm a big Tom Hanks, Hanks fan. I want to see the latest Tom Hanks movie. So if you want to do that, your your choice is, well, you, you, you go to the movie theater. Right. Well, here's the deal. Wall Street Journal today. Apparently, um, there's now been an agreement between Universal Pictures, which is one of the big Hollywood studios that puts out things, and AMC Entertainment Holdings, which is one of the nation's largest chains of movie theaters. They've got, like, the Mayfair movie theaters around here. So here's the deal. Um, right now, under the agreements, a first-run movie cannot cannot go to streaming or on-demand so you can sit and watch it at your home. It can't do that for 75 days, so essentially two and a half months. So you want to see the new Quentin Tarantino movie, you've got to wait two and a half months before you're going to be able to buy it on, on your home screen and watch it in your living room. That's changed. There's a new deal which has shortened the theatrical window from 75 days to 17 days. So that means... For instead of waiting two and a half months to watch a new movie at home, you will be able to see at least some of the titles just two and a half weeks after they premiere in theaters. Our number, 855 616 1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Now, like I say, this is a deal between Universal Studios and an AMC chain of, of theaters. But my guess is you're going to see other studios making exactly the same deal and here is my question I, I mean it's been a tough time for movie theaters to begin with but if you're able to see a first run movie at home two and a half weeks out of release after release will anybody be going back to movie theaters our number 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line and as somebody who loves movie theaters and loves the experience. I hope I'm wrong, but if this becomes commonplace and you can watch first-run movies in your home two and a half weeks after release, I do not see how, for the life of me, movie theaters, at least as we currently know them, are going to be able to survive. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620, that's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, if you could watch new movies in your home two and a half weeks after release, Are you still going to be running to the movie theaters and spending $12 or 15 bucks or or whatever it is for a ticket and then also standing in line to pay in all the money for the popcorn? My answer is maybe for a movie here and there, but regularly, I just don't see it. I think if this becomes the industry norm, it's going to kill movie theaters. What do you think? 855-616-1620.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, for for theatrical releases the deal has always been movie theaters get to show the new movies for two and a half months and then they're made available to online streaming and things like that. One of the nation's largest movie theater chains AMC, they own the ones at Mayfair for example they've just cut a deal with Universal Pictures which is one of the nation's largest producer of movies to lower to narrow that theatrical window from 75 days to 17 so essentially for all the Universal Pictures you're you're now going to be able to watch them live stream or on demand after two and a half weeks and the the thinking is this is going to pressure other studios to do the same sort of thing is this going to kill movie theaters let's start with john in kenosha john you're on wtmj
5: i I don't think it's really gonna first of all i love your show i'm in a truck all the time and that's what i do for a living is drive thanks so i listen to you all day so
1: thank you sir i appreciate
5: it all I don't believe this will kill chains. I love going to the movies. I love a big bowl of popcorn. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do. But the only movies I go see are action movies. I'm not going to go see a love movie with the wife. I'm not going to go see a comedy because you just don't need it. You need that big screen. You need that big sound when there's an action movie. Right. I, I love John Wick movies, for instance. I've seen all of them multiple times, but I, do I went too. and saw each one of them at the movie theater first.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I do too. I'm a John Wick fan. So you think you don't you don't think this is going to hurt? you don't think this is going to hurt the movie industry because you think that people are, are still going to just want that big screen experience
5: i do when you take when i take my grandkids to a movie or something you notice that no matter what the movie is and their age group it seems to be a, a almost empty theater but if you go to a john wick if you go to one of those yeah. big time blockbusters that's when it's packed and i think that's when they'll still pack it out and i think the movie industry itself will be fine if they're going to go to streaming a lot of people are going to enjoy that there's
1: you know, oh yeah, there's
5: not many much choices right now, you
1: know. So no, no, and, and John, don't get me. Did, no, thanks for the, Don't get me wrong. By the way, I mean, I, I, I think this is going to help the movie that the 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 producer on the producer side. You know, the, the people that are making the movies. I think this is going to help them because I I think it's going to generate more business because there's a lot of people who say, oh, that the new Quentin Tarantino movie is out. I I'd love to see this. But, um, you know, I, I just I don't want to go to the theater. I don't want to spend that much money or, or whatever. But yeah, now that I can stream it, yeah, you bet I'm going to jump on board this. I, I, I mean, I think it's good for the people that are making the pictures. I guess where I disagree with you is the, the theaters. Now, there, there's always going to, I understand what you're saying, that the big screen sort of thing. There's always going to want to be movies that you see on the big screen. But especially for a lot of the smaller movies and the things like that, uh, that you say, oh, I I, I kind of like this. This is I, I kind of wanted to see this i 'm not sure I want to go and drop you know twenty five thirty forty bucks for the tickets for my my wife and I and for you know the the popcorn and things like that i 'd much rather watch it at home for twelve bucks and i 'm willing to wait the two weeks for it that 's where I think the impact is going to be, maybe not the giant blockbusters that the tentpole movies but but the rank and file movies where You know i don't have to see this on opening night i want to see it i don't have to see it the first weekend let's talk to jeff in fox point jeff you're on wtmj
5: hey jeff i think this is actually going to hurt theaters because it's going to make it easier for people to skip theaters who are increasingly annoyed with the long previews holding their bladders in for records amounts of time and noisy neighbors
1: Right. <laughs> right. So you I mean, now, there, my guess is, Jeff, there's still movies that you're, you're going to want to see opening weekend, something that you've been hearing about for. Oh, I, I'm a John Wick fan, like our last caller. So maybe it's like, OK, when, when they're coming out with John Wick four, you want to see it the first weekend. But I, I think that's going to be for most people. It's going to be a treat, maybe the exception rather than the rule.
5: Yeah, well, if, I'm a big Wick fan too, but um, I would have trouble wearing my mask in the, in the theater too. Well, that, and they're... if things are are so bad, then I probably would have to wait.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. So, well, that that's the. I mean, I guess I, I'm trying to think beyond that, but yeah, I mean that that's the, the that that's the other factor. And again, I don't I don't want to get into the mask debate again. But yeah, there's. There's, I I think, a lot of people who would say, you know, I'm just I'm uncomfortable sitting in a movie theater for two plus hours, you know, if the rules are that you got to wear a mask. So it's just more convenient. I'll wait a couple of weeks and I'll I'll sit at home and I'll be able to to see it. I, I think this is I think there's a lot of movie theaters. And again, I'm not rooting for failure. Believe me, I'm not rooting for failure. But I think this is a tough time to be in that business. And I think this is another one of these businesses that is going to look very, very different. You know, when we come out of all this and if this is the norm streaming the movies and they're available two and a half weeks afterwards, I I think the era of the giant multiplexes and the eight and the 10 screens, I I think this is going to kill them. Because, like I say, there might be some of those big movies that are out there that that are going to people aren't going to wait for. But a lot of movies, especially some of the smaller ones, people will be more than willing to wait two and a half weeks. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ hi hi uh,
5: yeah right i um I, i'd rather go to the movies you know I mean you, you're at home all the time you, you almost look like you're in a convalescent home you know I don't yes. want to be at home doing nothing I wanna, you know I, I, you know so it's 20 bucks 25 bucks you know I, I just i mean you know you're working for that right. money you know just go and wipe out right you know maybe have a maybe have dinner or something you know right. i just
1: Feel that it should be, right, you know. so you're 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 like, look, this is this is my escape. This is fun. My wife and I, we, we love going to the movies. It's kind of our date night or something, and we're going to keep doing it even if we can watch the movie two and a half weeks later. Yeah, you
5: know, I'm 16 years old, man. You know, I, want to, I don't want to be in a nursing home before time. You know,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to. John, thanks for calling. I, I, I got well. I mean, I I I understand that, and and there's always there's like, I'm not predicting the end of movie theaters, although you need a critical mass of people that, that are going and, and to, to support any sort of a business. And, and and yeah, I, I understand that there's always going to be the people who are, all right, let's, we're, we're looking, we're, we're looking to go out and get out of the house, right? Or, or it's a date night thing, you know, you're, you're always still going to have the, the movie theaters for that. But I, I'm not, I'm not sure that that, there's going to be enough of that moving forward to, to sustain at least as many of the movie theaters we have, or as at least as, as many of the, the multi-screens that, that we have, especially with the costs that are there. And again, I, I, am not rooting for anybody to fail, but when I saw this story, it's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, um, or at least the, of the second section, I'm like, wow, th- this, this is a big deal because if you don't have to wait 75 days before a movie goes online and now it's only 17 my guess is there's a lot of people particularly for some of those smaller movies that yeah kind of this looks sort of good I I'd, I'd like to see it but You know, I'll just I'll wait those two and a half weeks and then I'll be able to watch it, you know, sitting in my man cave, you know, um, or my she shed or whatever that is. And I can watch it on the big screen TV and I can go to my own refrigerator and I can go to my own bathroom. And especially the longer this concern about the health pandemic lingers, the, the more significant it is. Tough time for movie theaters. No question about it. All right. When we come back, as long as we're talking entertainment, something happened today and I think it is Reflective of, well, it's reflective of a change in another industry. I want to talk about that with you. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: All right, Gru, producing the show today and always. I have a test for you. All right, you, you are you are up on pop culture. Would you say so? You're you're pretty worldly when it comes to pop culture and things like that. I suppose so. I I. I, I... Sure. Yeah. No, you are. I, I you know, you, you are. You're you're tuned into this stuff. All right, so I have a test. All right, the I, I'm I am i i am gonna read you a list of things and I want to see if there's something that you notice about this. Spot- no this it 's not a trick question here 's the deal the, the the Emmy Awards were announced the Emmy nominations were announced today, and for those of you who don 't know the the Emmys are the TV equivalent of the Oscars and they they recognize but but it 's for television and so you, you come out and then the, the Emmy ceremony this year <laughs> When is it the Emmy ceremony this year? And it's going to be different than normal, but uh, I got to find out the date of the uh, the Emmy. But they they announced the the nominees today. Okay, so so here are here are some of the categories. So this is what the test is going to be um, for the outstanding comedy series. These were the nominees: Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO. Dead to Me, Netflix. The Good Place, NBC. Insecure, HBO. The Kaminsky Method, Netflix. The Marvelous Mrs. Mazel, Amazon Prime. S-C-H-I-T-T-S Creek on Pop TV. And What We Do in the Shadows on FX. Okay, so th- those were the comedy ones. Then you go to the drama series. Better Call Saul on AMC. The Crown on Netflix. Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, Killing Eve on BBC America, The Mandalorian on the new Disney Plus channel, Ozark on Netflix, Stranger Things on Netflix, Succession on HBO, right? Got that? Then Outstanding Limited Series, Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu, Mrs. America on FX Networks, Unbelievable on Netflix, Unorthodox on Netflix – Watchmen on HBO. Okay, so it, Best Limited Series, Outstanding Drama Series, and Outstanding Comedy. There were 21 different nominees in that list. Did you notice anything about that list of 21?
3: I have a feeling where you're going with this. Uh, almost all of those are on streaming
1: applications, platforms. Y- you are, Absolutely. You got it in one. A- out of those 21 nominees there was only one that was on a traditional broadcast network, and that would be The Good Place on on NBC. Otherwise, everything was on Netflix or HBO or Amazon Prime or or some of the FX networks or AMC, some of the traditional cable things. Yeah,
3: I think you need to have some sort of digital cable subscription to get FX or uh, the BBC as well.
1: Right, right. exactly. Certainly AMC with Better Call Saul. But right, it's all either premium... Products like like HBO that you need to have a cable provider or, or you can stream it but you have to pay for it. My my point is for right the 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 traditional broadcast networks the over the air sort of thing the ABC the NBC the CBS that that's the the, the Fox. There, there's no recognition for this at all. One out of twenty one of the nominees. Now I, I understand this is all kind of subjective, and you know people. This, decide, you know, what's good and what's bad. And it's not necessarily a reflection on like, like network TV, but, but maybe it is. Our, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. I have to tell you, and, and I, it really kind of like hit home when I was looking at this list. I don't, I don't remember the last show that I watched regularly on your on your basic broadcast television. Now I I watch a lot of TV and I, I I'll I'll watch Netflix and I I'll I watch like cable TV and there's there there's some stuff that I, I watch, you know, on the traditional cable channels. But I don't remember the last time I watched a, a prime time program on network television. Most of my watching is, again, it's going to be on something that's on one of these, these sort of streaming services. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons for this, but has your, and, and we can explore them in just a couple of minutes, but has, has your TV viewing changed? Do you still watch the, the basic prime time shows that, that are aired on on the major networks because look when i was growing up that that's what there was i i grew up at a time though no, there were automobiles and there were televisions but you know there, there were the three networks and that was pretty much it and in early september that that was the big deal when the networks rolled out their their new prime time lineups, and you know that that was this big deal, and you'd wait to see what the new shows are. Nowadays, I could not tell you, with perhaps a couple exceptions, I couldn't tell you what shows are on what different networks. All right, is from a perspective of entertainment. I mean, have the major broadcast networks become? essentially irrelevant 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line and, and can you enjoy television now if you don't have access to all, all these different streaming services or the cable or, or whatever at least if you look at the awards n- none of those none of those network shows are up for the awards or almost none we discuss in a moment 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line this is jeff wagner
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Okay, so the Emmy Awards come out today. What struck me is, if you look at the the different shows, the 21 shows that are up for, like, like best comedy show, best drama show, best outstanding limited series, only one of those 20-some shows are on a traditional broadcast network. I I, I didn't take the time to read it, but if you look at the list of the people up for Best Actor in a Comedy, Best Actor in a Drama, Best Actress in a Comedy, Best Actress in a Drama, 24 nominees, the numbers are pretty much the same. There's only three that come from a traditional network show. Otherwise, 21 out of 24 are all either on the, the paper. View thing that you have to stream like Amazon Prime or HBO, or they're on like cable channels like AMC. I mean, is is do we not watch network TV anymore? Let's talk to A in Chicago. You're on WTMJ.
4: Yes. Hi. hi. Um well, Sorry. A Y. A Y. Okay. A J. A Y. Got it. That's yeah, all good. Um, yeah. Um, I think. I mean, uh, a big factor. Are the are the commercials, and so I pay you know just a small premium to have Hulu Plus, and I can watch pretty much all of the primetime shows um, a day after they you know they're aired, right? And I can watch it without commercials. I think just the the attention span, um, it, it, even just in the past few years, has just dramatically. Decreased. <laughs>
1: right. Do you, so, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that the shows that you find on, on cable or on streaming are better than the shows that you can watch, uh, you know, from the broadcast networks?
4: That's a good question. I mean, I know that Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu have spent a lot of money on some good shows, but, but I was still, you know, very much into Breaking Bad and... and? Um,
1: of course, that's cable. That's Chicago AMC, TV. right? I mean, Breaking Bad oh, right, is, right. is okay. AMC. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I appreciate. I, right, sure, I mean, I, I mean, I, right. I, I, yeah. Thanks. I mean, I, I, I raised that out. Okay, my board just kind of something weird just happened there. Let's see. Okay. You're looking. Just keep talking. You're talking. Just keep talking. Did you have the same thing happen there? Tell you what, I'm going to take a very quick break while. We figure out what's going on here, and we'll be back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, and this is Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. Okay, the dots just came back. <laughs> we're we're working on a minor technical glitch. It's it's sort of like when you're doing a radio show. Imagine that you're sitting at home in front of your personal computer, and all of a sudden, everything goes blank, which you, you know is not a good thing. But we'll we're working through it, and. My producer, grew working with our engineer. We'll we'll get through that, but we don't have the ability to take phone calls right at the moment. Um, I I am intrigued. As somebody who likes to consider myself as being a a student of of pop culture, I am intrigued by the different changes and the things like that that we've seen over the last several years and that we've seen the migration away from the network programming to, again, the, the streaming and those type of things. And I think it's really, um, I, I think it, it's really moved that way faster, and the Emmy nominations um, certainly developed this. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, irrelevant. Arguably, the major networks have become more relevant because of the pandemic, the riots, and the protests. Okay, well, that, I, I understand. I'm not saying that there, there's no interest in news or things like that. My point is, from the entertainment perspective you know, for the people who want to get away from watching the the nightly newscasts and look and i I understand you know the news news is hot right now people People are riveted to what's going on with the social protests and what's going on with the riots and what's going on with all the other stuff. We, we understand all that, and people are riveted to that. So I'm not saying that the networks are going to go away any, anytime soon. I'm just suggesting that when it comes to entertainment, people are going in other different directions. Uh, here's a text. Jeff, Do not I do not subscribe to any streaming service or any premium cable stations. I am just fine with my TV choices. And I, I get that, but part of the problem, problem is if that's the situation you you don't know what it is that you're missing and there's so many there's so much good and interesting TV that's out there and the problem is you, you almost can't watch it all and you, you can't sign up for all the different all the different stuff that's out there or if you do you, you quickly find yourself you know, paying a ton of money if you've made the decision that, OK, I'm going to have Netflix. But if I've got Netflix, does that mean that I want to go out and get Apple TV? Um, if I've got Hulu, does that mean that I'm going to have HBO? You've got all those different dynamics that are, you know, going on now let's see jeff i have netflix amazon and hulu and i occasionally watch things there but i still regularly watch scripted public safety dramas on nbc and cbs shark tank on abc and some really good shows on the cable networks i think there's more choices than ever and i find i like the the stuff in diverse places including the legacy networks just no longer exclusively there um Let's see, uh, dot, 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 dot. jeff. I, um, I, I won't watch anything I can't binge watch. I don't want to have to wait weekly to catch a new episode. Network shows also have to catch such a wide audience. They become vanilla and ordinary. Cable is only for sports at this price, at this point. You know, one of the things, interesting point that they make is, is the, the binge watching. And I find myself doing that as well to an extent for example on on hbo now they've got this uh series with a guy from the americans it's it's a reboot of perry mason and it's set in los angeles in in the 30s and at least at the beginning before perry mason is a lawyer he's a private detective i watched the first episode of it and i kind of got i kind of got suckered into it I, i thought it looked really really good um but I'm kind of the same way. It's not like I want to wait every week. So what I have been doing is I just set it to auto-record. So there's eight episodes in the first series. I think they're through six. I watched the first one, and now I'm just recording them all. And what my intention is is, you know, two weeks from now or after they're finished, I'm going to end up going back, and I'm going to just sit down one afternoon or evening or over two evenings, and I'm going to binge watch, and I'm going to see them all. Okay, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. It's one fifty-four.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Okay, we have our phone glitch fixed, which is a good thing. Yeah, it, it just, I'm kind of looking, a number of people are pointing out that one of the things that they like about the, the cable programming and then the, um, the, the the stuff that you get on the streaming services is the fact that there's no, and the phrase that's being used is, censorship involved. In, in other words, um, you know, you, you don't... if if you're putting a show on HBO or you're putting a show on Hulu or you're making a show for Amazon Prime, the the rules regarding language, the rules regarding nudity over the public airwaves doesn't apply. So you have shows which are are more adult. And and I understand that from a storytelling perspective that that's a good thing, I guess. At the same time, sometimes you just kind of get overwhelmed by this. There was a series I was watching... I want to say Hollywood lands, something like that, and it was just—I, I, I, I kind of—I wanted to see how it ended, and I, and I liked it, but it was—it I think it was on Showtime recently, but it was just there was so much gratuitous sex and to a lesser extent violence that it was kind of like, okay, do, do we really need this? Let me, let me kind of fast forward this through this particular scene because I, I just it, it's not necessary and it just becomes overwhelming and you become sort of immune to that. But I, I do think that from network television, there's always going to be a role, particularly for the family fair, particularly for the shows that you can sit down with the family and watch, because candidly, on, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's coming out on on the netflix in the world and stuff it's it's not geared for the family watching it's not geared for the family entertainment it's geared for you know some of the other stuff okay here's a texter jeff come on i i know you watch stuff like you watch like things like swamp people well yeah but i i do that's kind of my guilty pleasure i watch i watch gold rush i watch um deadliest catch which is on Tuesday nights, and I always explain, people say, well, well, why are you watching this? And I said, because here's the bottom line. No, no matter how bad a day you've had at work, and I, I'm, I'm blessed, I really have bad days at work, but no matter how bad a day you, you've you had at work, you know, you, you go home and you watch this and you say, hey, I'm not on some crab boat in the Bering Sea in the middle of January. Life is pretty good, you know? I'm not getting hit by some giant, you know, pot that you just pulled out of the Bering Sea. I, I'm not out in this boat where all of a sudden there's a fire in the whatever and the thing is dead in the water and there's, you know, some giant storm that it's moving towards it. So yeah, I mean, I, I freely admit that that's the kind of stuff that I can, in fact, you know, uh, yeah, I, you go, boy, life, life isn't too good. Worst thing that happened to me today is the phone lines dropped out for about five minutes, but <laughs> we were to get them started. I'm, I, I'm not looking at this swell that's going to turn over the boat or work in 24 hours. A day. Or, or one of the other ones I like is Gold Rush, which is, uh, you know, uh, there's a guy from Milwaukee that's that they feature on Gold Rush now. But I mean, it's like, okay, I, I'm not out, there in the alaskan wilderness you know trying to run truckloads of dirt through some wash plant and hoping it doesn't break down so you can like cobble out a living it's just it's like okay you know life is life is pretty good and don't even get me started on swamp people and if you've never seen that that's set in the louisiana bayou and these guys that are out on boats catching catching alligators and like like i tell you i mean if it's one of those shows that you watch and I guarantee you, you're not going to have a desire to want to do it yourself. Just saying. All right. When we come back, we will got a lot of great stuff up on the third hour of the program. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management
0: Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now,
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I want to revisit something we talked about in a slightly different context yesterday. It is my position. It is my position that what the mayor of Chicago is ordering is ridiculous, it is unenforceable, and that people will not be paying attention to it. If you, if you haven't been following this, uh, Chicago, sort of the homicide capital of the U.S., Chicago has been imposing quarantines. And what they've been saying, initially it started out with 15 states on the list, and they said if you are coming to Chicago, from any one of these 15 states and you've been in that state for more than 24 hours you have to self-quarantine for 14 days right that's the rule so if you're i don't know uh you know if if you're coming from new york or or wherever or florida or whatever and you're coming into chicago you have to self-quarantine for 14 days now there are exceptions for essential workers and interestingly Baseball players are essential workers, so it doesn't apply when the brewers go to play in Chicago, but it does apply if, for example, you are uh, visiting your kids, uh, your kids like live in Chicago, you're going down to visit them, and you're coming from Milwaukee, it's okay for the brewers, but you're going to have to quarantine for 14 days, okay, that that's it. It also works the other way, so there are a lot of people who live in Chicago who routinely come to if not Wisconsin, they come to they come to, if not Milwaukee, they, they come to Wisconsin, and this applies to all of Wisconsin. So if you have somebody who lives in Chicago but owns, I don't know, a property in Lake Geneva or a property in Door County or a property whatever, um, or they they have a vacation that this planned. they're going up to Door County or they're going um, again to Lake Geneva or something, and they're going to be there for more than twenty four hours. The rule is. When you come back, when you come back, you have to quarantine yourself for two weeks. Now, since they put this requirement into effect um, a couple weeks ago, for the first 15 states, nobody has received a ticket. Not a single person has received a ticket. Wisconsin, together with a couple other states, has now been added to this list. So starting Friday, anybody... Who travels, and it doesn't matter again whether you're a state resident. For my purpose of my discussion, let's say that you know you you own a piece of property in Door County, you own a piece of property in Lake Geneva, you go up there for the weekends, right? If you do that and you're in Wisconsin for more than 24 hours, when you come back, you're supposed to quarantine for two weeks. If you've got kids who live in Chicago and you want to visit them, you've got to um, you've got to quarantine for two weeks. So don't plan on going back to Wisconsin. If you've got parents who live in Wisconsin and you decide you want to come up and visit them, if you're there for more than 24 hours, when you get back, you've got to quarantine for two weeks. That's what the rules say. Now, I, I understand, as I just said, that nobody's received a ticket yet, but here, here's what they say, and I'm looking at a story in the Chicago Tribune. If city contract tracers, contact tracers get information that people who've come down with the virus were in close proximity to someone who got back from Wisconsin or another quarantine state, they will issue a ticket. Talk about adding insult to injury. The same goes for people who are on social media flagrantly posting their social activities clearly and out and about in Chicago after being in settings that are subject to our quarantine order. So in other words, if you... You know, post, hey, I'm up in Lake Geneva and, you know, I'm, I'm water skiing or whatever. And two or three days later, you post something saying that you're at a restaurant in Chicago. They're going to come after you. Investigators will also be looking into reports that they get that city workers aren't adhering to the stay at home guidelines. Daily fines can top out at 7,000 bucks. Okay. So that, that's the background. Chicago is saying 20, a, a two week quarantine our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i in the real world and i i live in the real world i just don't see any way that something like this is in fact going to be enforceable all right are, are you really going to be spending your time monitoring people's social media to say Okay, they they had a place in Lake Geneva and they were there last week and now they're back in the city. We're going to run out and give them a ticket. Are are we really going to be doing that? Or is this just a meaningless exercise to try to make people feel good? And do you think it's going to change anybody's behavior? I mean, if you've got a house in Door County or you've got a summer place in, in Lake Geneva because they impose this quarantine order, are you really not going to go? Are you really not going to go and then say, okay, I'm going to shut myself in for two weeks when I come back? Maybe you can make something like this work in Hawaii where it's an island and people fly in and you can grab them as they're getting off the plane at the airport and you can put in limitations on the hotels. But as a practical matter, in in a mobile society where people move about, is this just this feel-good thing that, as a practical matter, has no ability to be enforced? And if it's correct that it, has a practical matter, has no ability to be enforced, d- doesn't government make itself look silly by imposing these kind of restrictions? 855-616-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, for the life of me, I- I'm trying to picture the, the person in Chicago that's got the place in Lake Geneva They're not going to go up there for the weekend. They're not going to go to their place in Door County without uh, knowing that they're going to, of course, they're going to go. And when they come back, of course, they're not going to quarantine themselves for two weeks. Or am I wrong? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Peter in Milwaukee. Peter on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Peter. Hey,
3: I think your view on this is, is very valid, that this is unenforceable, and to some extent it, it just seems kind of draconian, and, and it's a way to try to put rules in force that people don't want to have. But I, I will point out, I have relatives in New York State, and there they are enforcing things quite um, seriously. They have people at the border on some of the major highways. They have people at all the airports. They ask hotels to submit lists of people and where they're from. And I'm not hope, I'm hoping Illinois doesn't do that, but I could see even the Chicago people running into trouble where, yes, they don't stop them from going to their home in Door County or their home in Lake Geneva or whatever, but they come back potentially if, if they do infect somebody at some point and there's contact tracing and they find out they were in Wisconsin, then maybe they come back after them and retroactively find them, or they might have a situation where maybe their employer's Ask them to, as a condition of employment, verify that they haven't gone anywhere. And if they lie, then, of course, they could be terminated. And if they don't lie and they cause or if they lie and they cause a problem, then they could be terminated, too. So it's like it's not like there might not be consequences here, even if it just can't be enforced case by case and day by day.
1: Well, I guess then the, the question becomes, is, is it worth doing that if all you're going to do is try to find the find and then give a $500 fine to the, the one person out of a, a thousand that's engaging in the behavior? You know, I mean, if everybody's going to do it, what, what purpose yeah. is it to give, you know, a $500 fine to that one person?
3: Well, I guess just as a general deterrent that, yes, a lot of people are not going to comply. Right. But if you get a few people to comply and be scared, maybe if they think this is a worthy goal, then you achieve at least part of that goal as opposed to not having a rule and people have no Disincentive to do things. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the approach I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting to see, Peter. I just I can't see this changing anybody's behavior. I mean, I mean seriously, I can't. And and maybe I'll be proven to be wrong, but if somebody you've got a place up in Door County, okay, you live in Chicago, you got a place up in Door County where you you travel, and and you're scheduled to go there next week, okay, you and the family, you're going up, and this is what you do every year, you're going to go up there. The, the idea that oh, I'm going to cancel my vacation, I'm not going to go to Door County because. Well, I, I don't know. I might go up there. I might get sick. I might come back. And, and even if I haven't gotten it in Door County, and my guess is that the instances of COVID nineteen in Door County—just my guess—probably you got a lot greater chance getting infected in in Chicago than you do in, in Door County, which is one of the reasons why. Making statewide travel bans, again, seem to me to be silly, but I just, I can't see it changing, you know, people's behavior. I mean, I, I will be interested, and in we talked about this yesterday, the Illinois governor, now not based out of Chicago, based out of Springfield, he, he's in Lake Geneva all the time. I think he or his family or somebody owns property that are up there. Um, so, you know, he he's going to be there. Does that mean that he's not going to be able to go to... To, to travel to chicago or is that is that essential business i don't know 855 will something like this work let's talk to maureen in Ma- franklin maureen you're on wtmj hello
2: hi there good hi. afternoon good afternoon i'm just i i just have one i guess per, i don't necessarily agree with this i do question the enforceability overall but where i am it is being enforced with me in fact i uh, is that I have parents in a senior living facility, mm-hmm. and they are in downtown Chicago. Um, I have not been able to see them since the pandemic started. They are finally allowing one hour, I could check out my dad like a library book and sit outside for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can't do that because I live in Wisconsin. So they just, um, Wow. I, I did have COVID. I've now recovered from it. So it's like, oh, great, I can go see dad. And unfortunately, now I can't because I live in Wisconsin and they won't let me.
1: Okay. So, and of course whatever they, that's worth. Well, no, but in, in that case, I guess they, they know for sure that you, you've lived in Wisconsin. And so you've got to check in in the nursing home type right. of thing. If, for example, right. though... Let's say you lived in Chicago. You had a place up in Lake Geneva. You spent the last weekend there. They would have no way of knowing that. So, I mean, theoretically, in that Absolutely. situation, yeah, you could do it. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious. How, how, for for you, how bad was COVID?
2: For me, I was very. I, I was thankful. I had a mild case. It right. took about um, a full full month to get through from symptoms to finally a negative test this week. Interesting. Um, so I had. I had most
1: of the symptoms, but it never got that bad. Uh, it, was, it was very annoying. Yeah, uh, right. But uh, yeah, right. A nuisance. No, a nuisance. Okay. No, well, good. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling. I mean, yeah. I, I appreciate it. That, that's great. I mean, yeah, a, a nuisance. A, a nuisance is fine. Like a a, a nagging cough or a, like a cold or a flu type thing. That that's much better than some of the alternatives that are out there. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage. Talk and text line. Jeff, if one of your recent callers was correct, what is the constitutionality of hotels turning over lists of their patrons or being stopped on the highway because you happen to have an out of state license plate? Yeah, I think as a as a practical matter, that's that's very difficult. I mean, can you imagine? And again, like I say, in Hawaii, you can at least see where you could maybe make something like this work because it's an island. And the only way you're going to get to the island as a tourist is either by boat or most likely by the airplane. So you, you can set up and you can grab people as they're getting off the airplanes. And right now there's not a lot of airplanes that are going anywhere, much less to Hawaii. But in a, in a place like Chicago, unless you're going to set up roadblocks to everybody coming in, you know, on, on the interstate, and, and then you're going to question them about where they've been and where they're going. And as a practical matter, that, that's that's just not going to happen. Let, let's face it; that's just not practical. You know, you, you know what happens when you have a, an accident one morning on on one of the on the interstate, and how that shuts down traffic. You're, you're not going to be able to. The people won't stand for roadblocks or things of of the like. Um, you know, it's just. It's one of these factors that I understand it sounds good and you want to say that you're you're doing something. And maybe it's one thing to put in a requirement that says, okay, we're going to want people who are coming to here from Utah, for example, to quarantine. Because nobody's probably traveling from, from there to Utah, for from Utah to there for a long period of time, or not many people. But in, in Wisconsin, where it's a neighboring state, you've got people going back and forth. I just don't believe people are going to change their behavior. And as I've been arguing all along, I don't think these one-size-fits-all requirements make any sense at all. Because you could say, okay, maybe if you thought you could work it out, you could say, okay, if you're going to Milwaukee, the city of, which is an epicenter for COVID-19, we're going to impose those requirements. But if you're going to go to... I don't know, an an area, you're going to go up to Rhinelander to spend, you know, a a week there, and then we're going to make you quarantine if you come back from Rhinelander, where there's little or no COVID, your chances of getting the coronavirus in downtown Chicago, my guess is a lot greater than it is going into Rhinelander. But of course, that that's endemic of this no-common-sense approach that we're seeing from time to time. Lori Lightfoot wants to see if this is going to work my guess is just not practical. It's gonna go into that that sort of virtue signaling, but really isn't gonna be followed by many, if anybody. This is Jeff Wagner.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic is still taking its toll across America. How will this impact schools in the fall? Join us Tuesday, August 11th for the WTMJ Cares, a special roundtable hosted by John McCure. We'll have education experts here to answer any questions you have about K-12 through schools, colleges, and universities' plans for the fall and heading into next year. If you've got a question you'd like to have answered during the roundtable, please call 414 414- 203-8105 you can leave us a message with your question that's 414-203-8105 wtmj cares powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum hey a follow up on a story we, we talked about briefly yesterday uh the there were if you will remember, the one of the nights of the Madison rioting, and this was the the night where you had the, the people who were looting stores and tearing down the statues. That was it was that night. It wasn't the the first nights of the the, the protest after the death of uh, George Floyd. It was it was later on, and this was also the night that State Senator Tim Carpenter. Who, who's out and about while, you know, in the middle of these different protests. And he takes out his, his phone and he's he's filming people who are, I don't know, engaging in violent conduct and committing crimes and things of the like. And if you remember, what happens is the mob, and that's what it was, the mob turns on, on him. And you can see ultimately what happens. Is you can see these two women approaching him and they're grabbing at his phone. He's then knocked to the ground and, and they estimate about 10 people just kick the crap out of him. All right, so that we we knew the two people that started it, or at least it, it's these women, and they, they put out their pictures, and, and ultimately what happened is you had people that came forward and and identified the women that were involved in this. They have now been charged with a crime. Whether they're going to get the other ten or eight people in the mob, who who knows? But that the two who were at least captured on the tape. On the film of grabbing, at least allegedly, grabbing the the phone and then starting the assault on Senator Carpenter, they've identified him. And as I told you yesterday, one was a woman named Samantha Hamer. She's 26 years old. She works as a social worker for the Mount Horeb School District in suburban Madison. Um, Apparently, her her job description um, is that uh, she... She works as a resource for high school students and their families who need help dealing with emotional distress, anxiety, depression, extreme irritability, changes in behavior or acting out. Well, this is the woman who's paid to ha- who uh, attacked the senator and at least allegedly was party to the crime of of the attack of him and you know she works as a social working helping people um, with acting out extreme irritability, etc. And, and yes, she's been suspended from her job. And if she's convicted of this, hopefully she'll never be allowed to help other people, you know, deal with extreme irritability. The other interesting thing is that the other woman that's been charged, 33 years old, her name is Corita O'Reilly. Well, she's got an interesting background as well. Turns out She's a licensed physical therapist in Madison who graduated from Marquette University's doctorate, doctorate in physical therapy program in 2011. Um, I don't know. She was worked for uh, apparently a, a spa or something like that in, in Madison. So here you have somebody who's, I don't know, supposed to be involved in physical therapy and helping heal people. And. She's also involved in the assault, at least allegedly, on Senator Carpenter. Yeah, irony is a good word for that. This is Jeff Wagner.